Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So today's show, we have a special guest with us. Uh, it is a pre-recorded broadcast, but most of you listen in as a podcast anyway. And so we are delighted to bring this to you today. Um, today's guest is a, a professor, a lecturer, um, at the Yale University School of, of, of Management, uh, is a also a faculty director, um, a science director, I'm sorry, for the Stanford University Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. So I'm delighted to introduce you to Dr. Emma Seppala. Welcome, Emma. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm excited because I, I've had so many conversations, just actually one just yesterday with a group of, of leaders, and we're talking about um, happiness. And, and I explained, as you know, I'm a director of a program in leadership, education leadership at Columbia Teachers College, and um, we were just talking about how uh, leaders now, there's so many aspects to what we know in terms of organizations that leaders have a responsibility for. And we got on the topic of happiness. And I had someone say, I'm I'm supposed to do something about that too. And the short <laughs> answer is, well, yes, you should know and you should be addressing aspects of want your individuals in your organization being concerned and thoughtful about uh, the extent to which they enjoy coming to work and they like what they're doing. And so we just had a long conversation with, with, with uh, about this with a small group. And I thought, wow, uh, you guys really need to tune in because I think this is going to be really uh, helpful to help them understand uh, about how to think about work and happiness. So before we get into that, I'd love to just know a little bit more about you. I know um, about your academic background, but you are originally from Paris and um, and a native uh, French speaker. Um, and so I, I, which is fascinating, I tinkered around a little bit in other languages, but I'm not fluent in anything, but <laughs> probably not even fluent in English. <laughs> but um, I um, would just love to know a little bit about your background that got you here to talking about and actually focusing your work on, on things like happiness and compassion and altruism. Thank you, Brian. Um, well, I grew up in, in Paris, which sounds glamorous, but actually the culture on the streets is um, is more is a more negative, at least when I grew up there. The, there's always this sense that everything's going to hell in a handbasket all the time, mm -hmm. even though you live in France, yeah. you have a ton of vacation, the rest of the time you're on strike, you eat great food, like you you have free healthcare, you have free education. I mean, the list goes on and yet there was just this sense of negativity all the time. Wow. And then when I moved to the US for college, I was like, oh, people don't have time for complaints here. Like this is this, this is a place more positive. And I really like that. Um, and then it was interesting though, because after a couple of years in the US, I noticed, wow, people work themselves into, into the ground. And there's a sense of unhappiness with that, right? And so and then I went and lived in China after college for a couple of years. 
And in China, where I was living, and people were so poor, and they were so freaking grateful. They were so grateful, and they were so resilient, because they were more grateful about where they were at now than they were at five years ago when they didn't even right. have a toilet in their apartment, you know? So, so, and then I went to Tibet, which was this very, um, another place that's, com that's completely controlled um, and subjugated and people are not allowed to worship as they please. And you saw, again, you saw sovereignty there. You know, you can try to force people to do something. You can't tether their soul. Like you just can't. And I just, all of that taught me, wow, you know, you, you have people here in the US who have everything and are grateful for nothing and are unhappy. And you have people in places that have nothing and are grateful for everything and are happy despite, and that's what I call sovereignty, which is my new sure. book is Sovereign. And, and so it really got me thinking. And when I came back, I actually was at Columbia and I wish we had met then. And I did a master's in uh, East Asian um, languages and cultures um, there. I don't know if you know Robert Thurman. He was one of my- yes. Uh, yes. Actually, actually, Robert has been on the show. Oh. Uh, I want to say within the last year. Yes, yes. Oh, really? Yes, I adore him. Oh, and, you know, I was just exploring this idea of what, what is really happiness? What What is this, this inner sovereignty that we can have this power to control the state of our mind despite our circumstances? And that is um, that is what really got me interested in psychology. Then I ended up doing a PhD in psychology, doing research on various methodologies that give us more of that inner sovereignty. So meditation, we researched, but also breathing. And I work with veterans with trauma in particular for whom traditional treatments, um, pharmaceutical and therapeutic hadn't worked. And mm. I thought, well, maybe we can help them in another way. And so we did a breathing intervention. And it was one of the most moving um, experiences as a researcher I've ever had because they were saying things to me like, thanks for giving me my life back. They were able to sleep again. Just really amazing. So overall, this idea of, you know, how can we, you know, our state of mind is independent of our circumstances to a certain extent. And we can have a say over that because as we've seen in the last couple of years, external events are unpredictable, chaotic, uncertain. <laughs> And, but there is something we can do about our state of mind. And that's what's been sort of driving my research interests, my writing and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, that definitely resonates with me. And I often find myself, whether it's with um, clients that I have or students, where I'm, I'm asking them to focus on what, what is working, what actually is working and versus, it's not to ignore that there are aspects of our lives that need improvement, uh, but not to put all of your focus there. And and I'm, I'm certainly not just saying as simple as it's half full versus half empty, that I, I, I often also talk about the fact that much of this is intent, it's like what your intention is. So you go into it, um, you, you have a decision to make. Am I going to uh, accept what happens and and look for look for kind of the civil, silver lining there, or am I going to kind of moan and and complain about all the things that didn't go well? Um, and and I just find that uh, for a lot of people, that's kind of a a, a common place. Um, and and the reason it is meaning common place for them to complain is that they haven't been given a set of strategies to do anything but that.
So, so I did, so I, I, that certainly resonates. So tell me when, when, so not just from, it sounds like it's not just research. It sounds like there's actual development, intentional development on your part uh, with some of the people you're working with. Absolutely. Because, you know, otherwise this is all theoretical and people can feel like, well, my life really is hard. Like, what are you saying about me? You know, the mm -hmm. truth is, you know, we've been educated on so many fronts. It doesn't matter how many languages you speak, how much education you have, how much, how many skills you have. None of us have been taught how to handle our emotions. We're all running around with as much education about how to handle our emotions as a five-year-old, none, mm -hmm. or how to handle our mind. And then we're thrown into life and sure, maybe we're lawyers or maybe we're educators or whatever we are, but we haven't learned these basics about emotions and also about how to relate to others. Those are two things we do not get formal training in. Yeah. And yeah. so then we find ourselves in a places of suffering and what can we do? You know? And so um, that's, there is something we can do. And that's what I'm trying to bring to the forefront, both through my research and also through my writing, because yeah. there are tools that we can use. Um, for example, the, the breathing um, interventions that we've studied, it's, it's a breathing intervention originally from India, it's called sky breath meditation. And um, what we found was that, again, the, the veterans were able to regain their sovereignty over their life in the sense that they were able to move on. Their trauma is there. You can't pretend it's not there, but in order, you can be released from post-traumatic stress through some of these techniques that help you move on. You remember what they said was, I remember what happened, but it's no longer right there in front of me, blocking me from doing what I need to do, stopping me from sleeping, um, making me afraid every time I'm in a similar situation. And that's sovereignty, right? And that's something we can work with. And I think traditional psychological approaches have often been, you know, change your thoughts, change your life. Mm. You know, it all sounds good, but I think we all know if you have a big emotion or a big trauma, it's not going to do anything for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and so I I, I know and I, I I want us to get to uh talking a little bit about your book. I want to before we get there, um and and there may be a real direct connection here is that so given what you've said is that there are a lot of people who are coming even more than ever before um that we we have uh, people who are are experiencing stress from a traumatic childhood or even just a traumatic last five years or so, right? With uh, COVID and and losing a lot of family members or or what have you, and and so I guess my question is um, when when you encounter people both in your your travels, not just you personally, but uh, someone who is is going and interacting with others at work or at their place of, place of worship or in various organizations, you encounter people that have have um, tr are, are experiencing trauma, but uh, have experienced trauma, but are suffering as you as you mentioned. Um, what do we do just kind of as passers-by first? What yeah. do we do as passers-by to be empathetic with that? Well, you know, there's an interesting psychological phenomenon called the fundamental attribution error, one of these clunky psychology terms um, that, you know, if we like, you know, have you ever sent an email where later you were like, uh, I should have worded that differently? Yeah, <laughs> like we've all done that, right? 
Okay. Now, let's say we encounter the person we sent the email to, you know, we can explain, look, I was tired. I was feeling frustrated because I hadn't eaten and this and that and the other. And I sent this email, but really I'm a good person. I'm sorry. I hope you understand. We have our own backstory. Yeah. But when we are the recipient of a nasty email, what's the first thought? They're a jerk, right? We immediately think something about them. Sure. We don't see people's backstory. Just like, you know, I, I, I met this one um, a gentleman who was um, interviewing homeless people and many of them were homeless veterans. Mm. And he said, oh, when you hear their story, how in the world could you judge them for being on the streets and being alcoholic? How could you? You cannot. Once you hear someone's backstory and you really listen, the only thing you can have is compassion. You know, for most people. Yeah. yeah. And um, and so, you know, I think it helps to remember, you know, these people are showing up the best way that they know. And sometimes they don't show up in ways that we like, but they're probably doing the best that they can under the circumstances. So I think giving people a little grace not only actually will allow for the relationship to flourish. And sometimes when you do that with a person who is challenging for a lot of people, you start to see them blossom. Because for once they encounter someone who is not judging them and who is not pushing back against them. I've seen that happen. Mm. Now, the other thing, so that just remembering that, but it also gives grace to your own state of mind. Because once you, you have that frame of mind, you're less irritated. And honestly, irritation and anger, we're the ones who pay the price for it. And it, by, when we're angry, our body, our physiology, our heart rate, our blood pressure, our stress response kicks in. We're paying the price for someone else's behavior, you know? Yeah. So when we give others grace, we're giving ourselves grace. That's one thing. Now, the other thing I want to mention, especially since we're talking about the, in the work context, my colleague, Kim Cameron, and, and some of his um, colleagues as well, they, they were looking at organizations as large networks. And they saw that within these organizations, there were these pockets of hyper, produ hyper productivity, like yeah. hyper productivity. Thought, what is going on here? They would look at these pockets of people and they saw there's one person at the center of it. And he said, Kim was telling me, it was embarrassing to use this word, but the only word I could use is that they were positive energizers. Mm -hmm. And what did this mean? At the center of this group was a person who interacted with others with human values, kindness, compassion, humility, forgiveness, you know, all of the integrity, honesty, those, those things that when we're around people like that, we feel first and foremost safe, which is the first thing we want to feel. But then we feel seen, heard, valued, appreciated, and inspired. And he found that those people create life around them. So I think we all know people in our lives who deplete us, who are draining to be around. But, and we've heard about these, you know, the term energy vampire or whatever, it's been around for years. But here is something new. Here is positive energizers. They do the opposite. They bring you life, mm -hmm. you know? And Brian, you seem to be of someone like that yourself. You know, someone who just walks in the room and it lights up the room and creates life and creates inspiration and creates energy. And that is, and there's so much more I could I could say about how they do it. And, and I go into it in depth in my book because I think it's a well-kept secret with regard to relationships. Yes. We don't know about this, but going back to your question, what can we do when we encounter people in the day-to-day -day who are just going through the struggle of life, you know? Every opportunity, every interaction is an opportunity for a micro moment of upliftment. Mm -hmm. It can be the person at the, you know, in the store or whatever. I'll give you an example. There was a woman at a cash register who was, it, it, uh, who was, every time I saw her, she was like so uplifted and kind and generous and loving with people in this thankless job. 
you know, yeah. people just, they just want to get their Coke or whatever they're buying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And here she was like a sunshine and I couldn't get her out of my mind. And a year later I went back to the same town. I saw her and I was like, I was like, you're such a sunshine. I've been thinking about you all year. Like here you are, <laughs> you know, and here's just yeah. here's blessing each person who goes by. And I, I actually got a chance to talk to her and she said, you know, I came from Eastern Europe. I had, I had such a miserable life. I'm so freaking grateful for every day. And you think this woman is amazing. She's rich. You know, this woman is rich because she's got that wealth from inside sure. and she's creating the sunshine around her. Everyone who buys something is enlivened. It's just an example yes. of interaction. Yes, I love that. And I, I remember, um, I mean, you know how it is. You've you've lived in, in New Haven. Um, I lived in New Haven past 25, well, it was 25 years or more. And um, and what was what was I guess common was just to go through and very quickly get things done. And I remember uh, being in the South. I'm originally from the South, but I remember oh, no. one time I, I, I was visiting and I, I guess I just walked up and, and, and said, oh, I want, you know, at the counter. And the woman stopped and she said, good morning, <laughs> you know, just made me stop and recognize her as right. a human being. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, good morning. You know, but I was in my mode uh, a lot of times, especially being in New York City or other places, it's just, what do you want? Let me let me take care of that, you know? And so that, oh, oh I, I definitely have had my experience with those people that just, um, you you can tell they, they exude uh, gratefulness and positivity. Um, I, I did have a question for you about the people, because there are some people that are critics to the mindset of no judgment, and they 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 frame it kind of in, in this dichotomy. They say, okay, you can accept people where they are. Sometimes that looks like low expectations, though. And, right. and so they say, but if you take that, take them where they are, which is they're homeless or they're unemployed or they're depressed or what have you, and you just let them stay there. And again, you know, using the words that people yeah. let stay there, don't expect more, don't push them to do more. You have low expectations. That's what you want from them. What, mm. What's your response to that? Well, as a leader in an organization, for example, let's take that, right? So what do these positive and positively energizing leaders do? It's not that they don't have expectations, but that they see the person's best self and they encourage them to, uh, to go further in that. Let's say there's someone who's really good with a certain thing. You, you got this. This is one of your talents. I want to see you go. It's not that positively energizing leaders or people don't have expectations or don't have boundaries or let people step all over them. No, because part of it is that they also have a as profound of respect as they have for others. They also have for themselves. Yes. So, and also we're not always, you know, as a leader, for example, you're not doing anyone any favors by not allowing them to grow, but instead of focusing on the negative, look, you're terrible at this, 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 it's more about you know, I see you, I see you and I see your, what you are really skilled at. And I want to help you excel in that. Now, of course, if there's some job requirements, like you need to be able to, you know, do stats or whatever, like, of course, the people, you know, they need to learn to do that. But um, seeing the best in others. And I just, I guess I have a question that I often ask, and then I'll pose to you. Can you remember someone in your, okay, first of all, I'll start with this question. 
How do companies usually command loyalty? Uh, companies, uh, they give them a raise. Yeah, money, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, is that loyalty? Because if the company next door offers more money, it's not, right? It's just really interesting to me that this is how we're operating. But now I want you to think, was there a mentor in your life, either your childhood or your adulthood, who was there for you at no benefit to themselves? They just saw Brian for who he was and they just wanted the best for him. You remember someone like that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if that person were to text you right now, right now in the middle of the interview and be like, Brian, I have an emergency. Can you call me now? Would you just drop everything to call them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This, that's loyalty. Yeah. Loyalty is born out of this very pure human interaction where someone sees you, values you, appreciates you, and has your back. Mm -hmm. And that creates a connection like none other. And it's what we all want. And when we can create that with others, whether it's micro moments of upliftment with a stranger, where we share a joke, share a smile, say something kind, or it's a, a deeper relationship with a coworker or a family member or community member, that's what makes all the difference. You know, the other day I was talking to someone and she was going in for a brain scan really scary. She didn't know if she had cancer or what, and she was alone. She's in the hospital. She's lying in this MRI machine and she's shaking. She's anxious. And she said, someone took my hand. I don't know who took my hand, probably an attending somebody. Mm -hmm. This day, she doesn't know. She never forgot that moment, you know, just reaching out and holding another human's hand, whether it's, you know, physically or metaphorically. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. So I, I, you have a new book um, mm -hmm. that is um, is going to be released on April twenty third. I see, and it's called Sovereign: Reclaim Your Freedom, Energy, and Power in a Time of Distraction, Uncertainty, and Chaos. You accomplish a lot I, clearly in this book. I, I'm, I am eager to see this. So tell me a little bit if you can give me a sneak preview about. Um, I know you said earlier uh, some about some of your work in this. Um, love the title. I think I know where you're going with it, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about it as kind of your, your trailer for the book. Absolutely. You know, so what I was seeing and what I've been noticing is just, you know, so, so many of us are caught up in beliefs and behaviors that keep us bound. You know, whether it's um, self-criticism, almost everyone identifies as self-critical, which psychology shows is a type of self-loathing. Mm -hmm. Self-loathing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense for most humans to walk around with that. It's self-destructive. That's just one example. But we get caught up in consumerism, addictive behaviors, and um, and ways of thinking and acting that actually bring greater suffering on us. And sovereignty is really opening our eyes and seeing what that is and reclaiming our right to exist in a, and have a life supportive relationship with ourselves. And I go into all of these different, many of the things we just talked about, the this idea of positively um, energizing relationships, a positively energizing relationship with yourself, with others. I talk about emotions, how most of us don't know how to handle our emotions and how to do so in a way that keeps us sovereign, that keeps us empowered. It's really in brief about a very life supportive relationship with mm -hmm. oneself, but with science and, um, and, a, and a framework that I haven't seen before. And that I feel like our world desperately needs right now, especially mm -hmm. given the chaos and the unpredictability of the outside world. We need to have such a strong inner grounded centered um, and powerful uh, core. Mm -hmm. And that this book is about 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so and I, 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 I'm, again, I'm, I'm eager to get this. I, I, I think a lot of times that uh, we, we forget that we have the ability through reframing um, uh, to, to have our own sense of freedom, um, what that is, because there, there've been people that have said, and I've read about that have found freedom that is for them that for some of us would feel like um, a prison, yes. uh, but it it was all in how they how they um, accepted where they were in their minds. Uh, but particularly the the in your um, subtitle where you where you talk about it in a time of distraction, uncertainty, and chaos, that it's really hard right now for a lot of people. And I keep, I, you know, for me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I, I remember when I was growing up hearing kind of two generations of people say, I remember what, when this happened, it seemed like a major turning point. And then later on, you know, say that was my grandmother and my mother and my father Oh yeah, and I remember some years later, this felt like a real major turning point in the world. And and so now I'm at this place where I'm looking at what's happened over the last 10 years or so going, is this my moment? Is this what I'm thinking? The world has really pivoted and shifted in a different direction. Um, and so, which led me to think, has there always been a high degree of uncertainty. It's just that the younger you are, the less aware you are of this constant uncertainty or a constant chaos. You, but when at a certain point, you are aware and maybe even sometimes hyper aware of, of the uncertainty and chaos. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, I think the world's always been changing, but what's unique about this time is it's it's world over. Like we are completely connected through the net of, you know, uh, technological, sure. you know, connections we have, um, and and yet we're also really we're sucked in. We're sucked into media. We're sucked into consumerism. We're we're sucked into self-destructive beliefs and behaviors, addictive behaviors that are at our fingertips. How many people are hooked? hooked on um, scrolling, hooked on porn, hooked on food, hooked on, and that is not sovereignty. That's being so bound. And what I'm inviting people to do is to open their eyes to that and, and reclaim their sovereignty. Mm -hmm. At the end of our lives, what are we going to want to look back on? Oh, I spent, you know, 12 years scrolling instagram like <laughs> right right that's right that's right, right. right. yeah and, and we look at our children they're bound i was like aren't we going to model something different for them do we want this life for them yeah. how can we think independently if we are constantly consuming 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 so i'm just inviting people to deeply honor themselves and live the life they want yeah yeah Thank you for sharing that. Um, one last thing, I know. Well, it, it's time has really zoomed by um, because I, I really enjoyed talking to you. I know that you were in a documentary. I didn't get a chance to see it, um, but it, that you were featured in a documentary or a few. Um, but the one I'm thinking about is one um, entitled "The Altruism Revolution." Mm -hmm. um, 
And I just remember from kind of the earliest times of receiving a definition of altruism um, and hearing people's positions and thoughts about altruistic uh, mindsets um, and, and that to a large degree, there's some misinformation around what it means. Can you tell me what your oper kind of your operating definition of what altruism is? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think um so oftentimes I think of like empathy versus sort of altruism and compassion. So empathy is being able to experience another person's emotions, right? So someone's suffering, you see them suffering, you feel suffering. Mm -hmm. altruism is doing something for someone else. Now, it might be that you are gifting them money because you want to help them, but you might be gifting them money because you get your, you get your name on a plaque. Okay. So those, you know, but compassion is sort of the combination of like feeling another person's suffering and wanting to be of service in whatever way. Mm -hmm. And um, what research shows is that if you come from that place, it not only benefits, hopefully the other person, but it also benefits you profoundly but if you want to put your name on a plaque, it doesn't have any impact on you. Yes. That's really interesting because we know that physically and psychologically, your health improves when you um, are engaged in compassionate acts in your life. That's something that has been seen again and again, and even your longevity. Mm. But if you're doing it for selfish reasons, it doesn't, which is so fascinating. Yes, it is. And if you think back on all the like philosophical and sort of religious messages out there about doing good, you know, it's it's really interesting because yeah. um, what research shows is you will indeed. Uh, um, in fact, I'll share with you my very favorite study because it just it's so mind blowing. They were uh, in this study. Some of my colleagues were looking at people who had been through severe life stressors like war. Those mm -hmm. people usually live shorter lives because stress impacts your longevity. We know oh. that. Sure. What they found is there was a pocket of people who just kept living. It's like, like nothing happened. Like what is going on with these people? Why is it that they are not impacted? All of them engaged in some kind of compassionate activity in their life, whether it was community service or something like that. Yeah. And it's like it erases the impact of the trauma on your physiology, yes. which is extraordinary and also not extraordinary. It's, yeah. but it's such a well-kept secret, you know? And again, no one's making money no, there are no marketing people, no PR people for compassion. And yet that is one of the greatest secrets to well-being, psychological well-being, physical health, recovery from disease and longevity. So. Wow. Wow. And the studies support that. That's that's fascinating. Well, look, I know we have we're out of time. I appreciate you uh, giving me uh, some of your time today. Uh, your your book is coming out on the 24th of April. Um, I know that there are people that want to know where to follow you, what social media handles you have, if any email addresses, but places where they can support you and and read about the work that you're doing. Please share that. Sure. Um, so the easiest thing to do would be to go to my website, um, www.imsov, S-O-V, like sovereign, imsov.com, and they'll find out you know, my handles and, and information about the book. Excellent. Thank you. Well, um, pleasure meeting you. And I'm sure uh, now that uh, we've made acquaintance, uh, I'll see you passing around somewhere um, at on Yale's campus. But if you're ever in New York, let me know at, um, if you're passing through Columbia. But we definitely have to get you in to um, speak for us. And uh, hopefully after your book comes out, we can get you to do a book talk. Thank you so much, Brian. It would be my pleasure. <laughs> okay, thank you.
Um, and until we meet, go well, stay well. You too.